0: around just to give some people some oh, to- know, let me okay. Let me you, okay. Oh, Sandra, oh, you, you know, name 10? 10?
1: Okay.
0: Um, hello. I'm delighted. Yeah. Justine, how are we doing? Are we getting a little sound
2: there?
0: It's a joyful day in yes. Detroit, and I'm really happy you're all here. <laughs> Thank you. So, does that sound like we're getting anything out of the speaker? We are, we are, we are. How about a round of applause for all of us for being here? Not for us for being here, but for Claire, for having this opportunity. Every Thursday night, the parlor talks. I came last Thursday, and I cried my eyes out. I was so touched by it. Just the whole setting and people coming in and mingling and meeting each other. And Thank you for being here. But Claire, thank you for inviting me. And I want to share a little story about how I met Claire. She had a store over next to City Bird. And a young lady by the name of Jennifer Andrews, who was about eight years old when she, her parents and we had a lot of people from Downriver would help us on our runs. The Downriver gang was absolutely fantastic. Would come in and volunteer for the runs. And Jennifer was about eight years old. and She would always tag around, and her mom would, go, "Where's Jennifer? Where's Jennifer?" And we'd be running out in the streets and everything. And sure enough, Jennifer grew up loving Detroit, and ended up living in the condos or the apartments over here. And introduced me to Claire. And Claire would say, "We do these talks at Cliff Bells. Would you come talk some Monday night when you're in town?" And we could never match up. But each time I'd come to town, I sent an email to Claire or something, and then she became the editor of Model D, and she had her grand opening over here, and we came to the party. I remember I called, where's Mary? I called Mary Chapman in the half, halfway into the middle, and I said, you gotta get over here and meet these, you know, see the new Model D office, and we had a great time, wasn't it? Standing out in the street till two in the morning. And So I sent Claire an email a couple of weeks ago. I said, I'm gonna be in town. Can we have that cup of coffee we haven't had yet? She said, better yet, how about doing the parlor talk at Urban Consulate, and I've been following what she's doing, So. I'm just, I couldn't be happier and more proud to be here. And I know Claire wants to say a few words and uh, no. thank you but... <laughs> I don't want to
1: take the mic for you. No, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to let you know where you are if, you, if it's your first time here. You're at the Urban Consulate. This house has a lot of history. It used to be Zoot's Coffee House back in the day. Maybe you were here then. Uh, for some music and, and coffee and it was sold in the whole record shop in the basement. I think we learned recently Del Pryor had her gallery too at one point and it's been many things over the years so we feel very fortunate Scott Lowell is around somewhere uh, for the fact that he's restored the building and uh, we can be here today. Um, there's a lot going around in the neighborhood and uh, if you have any questions about some of the things that are happening around us we love to talk about the green garage next door and apartments that are being renovated across the street and everything else. Um, the Urban Consulate is supported by Knight Foundation, who gave us a grant to test out this idea. So you're in, a, in an experimental situation right now, which is to promote cross-city uh, exchange between. Detroit and we also have been running events in Philadelphia and New Orleans to get started. And so the idea is, um, much as as Emily, we all know, is a great ambassador for the city, whether she's in Detroit or she's somewhere else around the world, we want to promote this idea of sharing ideas and stories across places and um, thinking about... Um, how we can tell the Detroit story beyond just the city itself. So I know there's people here in the audience who um, are in town for Congress for New Urbanism this week. So welcome if you're here for the first time, we're excited to have you. And um, Emily is quite a Detroit legend and an inspiration to us all. So we're very excited to have her. She's
0: a special guest. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I love, thank you very much. And I love for saying, uh, you know, people wherever they are. When we coined, and it wasn't a slogan at the time. It was really an attitude. And I'll tell you how it all started. But at the time, it it was not that you had to live in Detroit and say nice things about Detroit. It's like wherever you live, work or play. You know, you can be in New York or across the country, wherever you are. You can be in Birmingham or Downriver, why not? If you like the city and you feel good about it, and say nice things about it. So I've never been one that, like, you're not a Detroiter if you don't live in Detroit. I've never never espoused that kind of thing. We, we all need each other. And as we used to say, we needed the suburbs to, to feel good about Detroit. I remember the first time we did go downriver to hand out some flyers for a run, and whoever was the mayor of Ann Arbor at the time said, don't go down there, they'll steal your car. You know, and we were so discouraged, but eventually, the downriver crowd, really, they came into, into, they they did the runs, and they volunteered for the runs, and and the thing that would happen so much is we'd have young kids running in the races and they'd say my parents would be horrified if they knew i was down here And the next race they would have their parents with them so i love that and one of the things we always did in the store was we had a big graffiti book because the cast tech kids would always come down to the store and hang out and that's that's where we got our wonderful a lot of our uh, team members that worked at emily's but we had the graffiti book and i i always loved the great things that they would write so i would like to just kind of pass this around with a few pens if you feel inclined to whatever you want to say or or uh you know, express the, uh, what you feel about Detroit, or if you have a memory of Emily's, or anything. Just if you got a pen, fill it out, and pass the book around would be absolutely wonderful. And I, I came up with this thing. Uh, I noticed it was a certificate of appreciation, probably from the the city council. Yeah, I guess it was, but it said Emily Gale's Gang, and you know we were always about a team. <laughs> you know, last week when Marsha Music talked, I cried through the whole thing because I think anybody who's had some kind of Uh, participation and involved in Detroit. We all contribute in our own way, unique way. I always said there were a lot of people contributing. We just knew how to get the press. You know, and that makes a big difference. So every day there's somebody doing just as good of things as we were doing, but we were a little louder about it. And uh, I love the fact that it says Emily Gales Gang and i got a bunch of my friends, they're very good friends now that worked at Emily's Colleen Sweeney's here, and we've all stayed in touch. You know, she spent the last 32 years being involved doing PR and promotions. I think she was involved doing the grand opening for the airport. And where's Elena? Elena Fricassa and her mom Ann worked with us. I mean, it's so cool that we've stayed in touch, in touch. Trish Hubble is here, and Trish back here, and and Kyle, Kyle worked at Emily's. <laughs> he was a dynamo then. And let's see who else is here. Michelle, Michelle. Majesty, and, and, and Mary Ann, Mary Ann McCourt. Mary Ann's with the Matrix Theater now, and last year um, Michelle was telling me all about the Matrix Theater, that she's been doing a lot of volunteer work, and then Mary Ann is now the new executive director. So as we pass the mic around later, I'm going to ask them to say a few words if they would, just about their experience working there. And and yesterday I was walking down the street with Dave Llewellyn from Channel 7, and we ran into a, a Dave, do, do, what is his name, Claire? The, 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 David, David Derrida, he was standing off to the side, and, he, and then he jumped in and he said, Emily was my first employer. I, he, he's the one that's developed the Whitney Building and the Loft Hotel. He said, Emily was my first employer. I used to scoop ice cream for her. So it touched so many lives, and all of the people that worked at Emily's touched my life in many, many ways. As so many that I'm looking at here right now have touched my life, that are, you are all doing things. Trish White, I mean, most, so many people I met online in some way. Trish, I think we met on Facebook or something? Twitter. And Twitter, and, you, and, and here, you tell us the story a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're doing now. Hi,
3: I'm Trish White, I'm a Detroit Revitalization Fellow, and a couple of years ago I was really starting um, re- researching Detroit and following everything from Washington, D.C. Um, and trying to learn as much as possible, and I would find these really great stories and, and tweet them out, and finally somebody else found me and followed me on Twitter, and she said, you know what, you remind me of Emily Gale, and of course with my research I knew who Emily Gale was, and then she said, I think you can find her on here, so before you know it, this wonderful woman finds me, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm nobody, and she finds me, and she's like, you're, you're really great, so we started um, following each other, and then I got the fellowship, and... The rest is history. <laughs> yeah, and what was
0: really neat was when uh, Trish and all the uh, Detroit fellows last year were having their final night and their sort of celebration of having finished all their their uh, orientation. They had it at the Outdoor Adventure Center, and it was just a it was a wonderful party. But I got to go around and meet everybody from uh, just all the different. How many? Forty people was it? Twenty-three. Twenty-three, and. It was so touching because most of them had some knowledge of the history. They're you know a generation behind, but they they knew, and the reaction was absolutely fantastic. But even better was the the outdoor adventure center. When I learned that that was being built, I got in touch, sent an email when they were talking about the globe building and. Herb and I used to ride our bikes and run down in that area when nobody was hanging out down there. And and so I, I sent an email to somebody, maybe it was Scott Pratt with the DNR or something, and got in touch with uh, Linda Walter, who said she was going to be the, the new director. And she, she had lots of memories of Emily's because she had gone to Wayne State with a recreation uh, She was studying recreation, so she just was, you know, oh, my God, Emily, you know, I'm just so glad to hear from you. And we stayed in touch, and now Outdoor Adventure Center is uh, the purveyor of the only thing they sell at the Outdoor Adventure Center. I call them caretakers. Everybody that's, and there's not a lot of them because we're we're just doing it in a few places, but caretakers are the same nice things about Detroit. She's got the the mugs and the shirts. And Chris Gorski, come out of here, Chris. I really need to acknowledge Chris again because... Chris from Detroit GT, he had on his website for, for a long time that uh, Emily was my inspiration as a kid. He has a place in Rust Belt and about nine other locations around the state, even up in, in uh, Traverse City. And I love that he had that on his website. Emily Gale was my inspiration. When people would say, what are you going to do about it, this guy's using your phrase? And I said, I'm going I'm to meet him and just ask him to put my name on it. And we'd become <laughs> best friends. It's just been a wonderful, and that's how I feel. Everybody that's doing something. Uh, did Emily Lynn get here from City Bird? Well, Emily was going to try to get here. They wrote me a letter when they opened City Bird. and said, when we were kids, we used to come in your store, and my parents ran on your races, and could we use your phrase? And with her name being Emily, I said, you better. <laughs> you know, it's a natural for you to use it. And we all keep coming, becoming ambassadors and keeping that, that legacy going. So Chris, just a couple words, if you would.
4: Um, again, my name is Chris. Um, I grew up in Dearborn Heights, and my uh, I remember as a kid having this shirt. And uh, when I went to CCS a few years later, and uh, when I was in college, I remember on, set, uh, on Woodward Avenue, um, this was in the 90s, um, on Woodward Avenue was the uh, the billboard, or it was on the side of a building. And uh, I remember, you know, I loved Detroit. And uh, I, I'm like, I want that shirt again. I, I need to have that shirt again. But you couldn't find that shirt. You know, in the 90s, it was all about... Uh, made in Detroit, made in Detroit, made in Detroit, that, like, took over, and uh, I said, you know what, I'm at CCS, I have, you know, I have some friends who can make some shirts, I'll make some, I'll make some of these shirts, and um, I remember knowing that I knew who made the shirt, but I couldn't find this woman, I mean, she was nowhere, I mean, she was, people said that, oh, she's in Hawaii, I'm like, well, how do I, you know, back then there was no internet, so how do I find this woman, and uh, so I started making the shirts, and I started uh, I realized it was not my phrase to you know keep, so I had to make my own phrases, so I also have uh, I have people in Detroit shirts and bitch please I'm um, from Detroit <laughs> so those are my those are my phrases that I created, but she was the inspiration to get me to start making shirts and keep this message going of great things about Detroit. so she was the the, the first person that got me to start doing this whole pro Detroit shirt thing that I do with Detroit GT but um, my shirts. Uh, uh, I put them on uh, Etsy, and I, I always gave her, you know, I, I always gave her props, but finally she found me on Etsy and said, hey,
0: let's you know, go have breakfast. If, if yes, you know,
4: so anyway, so uh, you know, she's always been a guiding light for me, so I'm, so I'm so glad to be here for a moment and say hello to all of you. and. Be here for her, Chris so.
0: has to run off. He's getting ready for two art fairs this weekend. So he's, he's got so I appreciate you coming by. Thank you. Thank you. And I don't know, we did get a chance to Wayne, are you back here? Let's get you kind of introduce you. Wayne, last week I came to the uh, parlor talk and Marshall Music talked. Is Marcia here? She was absolutely wonderful. Oh, there she is, hey, Marcia. And like I say, I cried through the whole thing. It It was inspiring, and I feel like her words were a bit of a mentorship, which I think is what we all end up doing for each other in many ways, you know, because we all look at life from a different different perspective. And, and so I'm glad to see Marsha here, and I hope one day she'll give everybody a copy of her, her poem, uh, Just Say Hi. But never, say it, nevertheless, hi. I'm gonna put it as a podcast because I recorded it last week, and it was absolutely wonderful. But Wayne, a few <laughs> words about yourself.
5: Okay, well, uh, I'm Wayne Ramican and I'm co-host here with, with Claire.
2: Okay.
5: Um, I don't have too much else to say, but, I mean, because Claire said it all, really. But uh, I just encourage you to look at what we have on social media because there are a lot of people who come through this space and you are included and your energy is important. And I just love this woman's energy right here. So this is, this is always special. Thank you.
0: We just met last, last week and I think what happens to all of us, you know, we meet people, we're all coming from the same spirit in many ways. And one of those people, first of all, when, when Claire was talking about her becoming the editor, Model D, and I called Mary Chapman and said, Mary, get over here. Well, I let Mary online, too. She had written a story that had really touched me, I think it was in the New York Times, so I sent her an email and just uh, commented about the story, and from that, we started staying in touch with each other. I love the way she crafts words and, and, and the, the kind of stories that she comes up with are, are just so touching. And so we've, we've become friends. And Mary, would you mind? I know you're not, you, you tend not to like to really speak. What would you say if you weren't here?
6: Emily, we came to hear from you. Yeah, well, so part of it. Um, First of all, I, I was um, sincere when I told you last week that I sleep better when you're in town. Thank you. I just love Detroit feels better when Emily is here. And I, I really mean that. Thank you. Uh, when you're home. This is home. I mean. Yeah. Um, I like to I like to I would like to say that uh, my mother pushed me on a stroller to Emily's store way back then, but that's not exactly mm-hmm.
0: the case. But you were the editor of South End, right? No, well, writer I went to your store, yeah. I actually
6: did. And um, um, and there may or may not have been some loitering involved, actually. Okay. <laughs> a lot so of people actually did that. I came to thank you for my not having a record to this day. Thank, thank, you. thank you for not telling <laughs> me, um, I also want to say, too, that of, of course everyone knows that you weren't the first, you weren't um, the first shop downtown, and, and you know that, you know all of that, and you know that um, there were other, I want to pay credence to the other stalwarts of the city, too, just want to give them respect, but also I want to make clear that um, I know that things were pretty dire then, and so I just want to thank you for that. And um, and beyond brick and mortar, beyond her shop, it's it's the aura that you present even today, and the energy, and um, you're you're just a badass. Thank you. I <laughs> appreciate that. You.
0: you know, Mary, there were other shops and stuff, but I will say that we made the first Detroit T-shirt, and it was at Detroit with the heart over it. And we gave it away with a $10 purchase, and the joke was they had to give it away because who would buy one? <laughs> and, and really, uh, it was kinda, it was a joke, and, but at the same time, we realized that people really liked that when we would give them that shirt with a $10 purchase or, you know, those prices were a lot different then. The other thing is, I actually had started in a 9x12 room in the Penobscot building, and then I had a 500-square-foot store in the First National Building. When the Renaissance Center opened, it sucked out all the brokerage firms. That were in the financial district and they all moved over to the red center those of you remember there was a big berm around the red center, and it was designed by john portman who also did the Peachtree center and that was the era of john you know he he, he did all the, the great buildings in the city. So that also kind of said stay inside and don't go out on the street and uh you know all the banks had moved out and dupont uh, Mural lynch uh, manufacturers bank so there were a lot of empty buildings what I took over was an empty brokerage firm. It was DuPont and Company, and I had the little nine by twelve room in the Panasket Building. People said, "Well, where is it?" I'd say, "It's just across the street." And that's how we came up with the name Emily's Across the Street. And also, the very first run we put on, I went up to WJR and we were promoting it, and I, you know, wanted to, you know, have people be showcased running through the streets of Detroit. Yeah, sure, talking. yeah, it's I feel mean, like for
1: people who weren't here then. Yeah.
0: So we went up. We were promoting him. When I got back to the store, the police chief Jim Bannon was at. He he had a car out there for me, and they took me over to his office. And he said, "You can't just have a run in the streets of Detroit. We don't do that. You need to go up to Belle Isle." And I was like, "That's not the point of it. Is to be in the streets of Detroit. We want to showcase and show people that it's safe. We want to go through Greektown and down in Rivertown then, which was the Soup Kitchen Saloon and the Woodbridge Tavern and." Yeah, one of our races actually started started on the rooftop of Cobo Hall and went through Tiger Stadium. The only time people were able to run a lap through Tiger Stadium, so we got very innovative. We had one race that that finished up inside Cobo Hall. Well, anyway, on that day when that very first race, uh, Chief Bannon said, "You know, you can't do that." I started crying. I'm like, you know, this is. But the whole idea is to make people realize it's safe to run in the streets of Detroit. We had about a hundred runners in that first race, and of course, it grew to thousands and thousands from all over the country but more than that people from all over the suburbs and that was the beauty of it it was that people started coming down and they would bring their parents and they would bring their neighbors and I I always get a kick every time I come back to Detroit there's a few people that that I find out that came into the store that I might meet through the media or something and one of those people is, and the reason I want people to talk is I always have felt that what we did was about everybody we couldn't have done it first of all I have to acknowledge Pooh where's my picture Pooh Never would have been done without us as a team, okay? I, I really, I mean, I single-handedly was struggling. I and mean, when we met and fell in love, uh, that was, you know, we were a, just a great team together. We we did some crazy things, and we, you know, we were fighting immigration at the time. We had a 10-year battle with immigration. And for those that don't know, we didn't up and leave Detroit. We got evicted from our space. McDonald's wanted it. Once we were there, it made it really popular. Like it Like, it's tends to happen sometimes. Other people come in with a, a bigger checkbook. So we uh, fought for a couple of years and we won a couple of cases. And then when we did lose a case on the technicality of making changes without permission, we had 30 days to get out. So we were, we were pretty upset, we were pretty broke, probably more than pretty broke. I think it's a, a, one of the greatest lessons I he- ever had was going, I mean really broke. <laughs> and I think it's the greatest lesson I've ever had in my life is because number one, you have compassion for other people. When when you see you know when people are struggling and and the other thing is you realize that you know what you can you can pull out of it You can you can you know You can change that and I got an offer to go to the to Hawaii and be interim race director of the Ironman that we had helped them very much In that event in fact the people from the Ironman had come to our races Colleen you would remember that right and they were learning There's a lot of things that happen with the Ironman in Hawaii that are from our race the foundation, there's all kinds of things. But I went, there was going to be a temporary thing, but I always said to myself, I'm going to get back to Detroit and shed a brighter light on the, the exit that we made. And I think that every time I come here, I feel like there, there really is a bright light. But a couple of years ago, I got a call from Sandra McNeil, and Sandra's with WWJ, and she said, gosh, can I come to a story with you? And what I didn't realize was the story was that she used to come into the store when she was a little girl, like so many people.
7: That's
8: right. Uh, my parents immigrated to Detroit uh, from Scotland, actually. But after the riots, I guess, they moved to the suburbs. And um, growing up, Tina Fey has talked about this. In the 70s and 80s, everything was cool. It was about New York. There were a lot of movies, TV shows. And there was this real yearning for a big city. And I think, you know, you just think going to the suburbs, why am I here? This is so boring. So Emily's store was like something really cool to go to downtown. And I always remember going with my dad and the guy behind the counter being so nice to me. I can still remember what he said. You know, he's very complimentary and uh, learned it, that it was poo, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's just, uh, as the other gentleman said, it's an energy. And I think putting out that energy makes you feel good about yourself. And to make you feel good about the city you live in, it's very
6: important.
0: So and, and, thank you, uh, Emily. Thank you, Sandra. We've become good friends. And she did that story a couple years ago. And I, I really it just touched me when she told me about coming down there as a was a little girl with her dad and she's a real Redwood fan and how he would take her to hockey games and those are the stories I love and to me that's what that's what Emily's was. Everybody I was out at the D in Las Vegas last last September and I wanted to see who owned it and stuff and I the guy the bellhopper something said, Well you know the owners they're always holding court at the end of the bar about 7 o'clock at night, and I said, okay, I'm going to go check them out, you know. So I walked up, and they, they, that's exactly what they were doing. They were holding court. And I went to Derek and uh, Nicole Stevens are their name, and they're Detroiters, and it's a wonderful spot. It really feels very Detroit in many ways. But I, I walked up, and I, I said, Derek, And he said, yes. And there's a lady sitting at the end of the bar, and I said, my name is Emily. Pien. Before I even got the words out, she went, oh, my God, Emily. When I was a little girl, my dad would tell me if I wasn't good, I couldn't go to Emily's. And I, I just thought that was it. He was a lawyer across the street. And she said, we still have a picture from your store in the house. And then the next day when I went back, because they, they had an event going on, she said, I called my dad and he, told, he reminded me it wasn't a picture from your store. It was a picture of your store. I thought that was pretty neat. It was still on their wall. So there's so many nice stories. And then another person that I was able to, you know, every time I come, I meet so many of the people that are doing things today. And I always say that we're mentoring each other. Um, I've had so many people reach out. I really want to th- uh, thank uh, Ted Fournier, who is here. He's from uh, Downriver, the Grozville Public Access. He's videotaping, but he works with uh, he works with Patty Rooney. Who uh, came approached me uh, last year and said, "Could I do a documentary on you?" And I get requests like that a lot. And uh, so we kind of stayed in touch and everything. So she's the one that lined up for Ted to come in and, and do the and do the videotaping tonight. And I really acknowledge Patty for that. A couple other ones is uh, Bruce Giffen. Bruce, we find I finally got a chance to sit with Bruce last year. And Bruce, I really want you to say the words because how can you not? You know, Bruce was a photographer with Metro Times, and I, when I sat with him and we did a video together for YouTube, and it was just, my heart melts every time I sit with someone and we start exchanging the stories and running the scene. So Bruce, will you say a few words? And if you don't, every time Bruce puts his picture up on his Facebook page, it's so touching they just everyone is better than that but they the, 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 all of them together tell such a story of the city and so check out uh, bruce's most of you probably know know bruce but thank you were.
9: i don't have anything to add to this story i was a customer and a fan i remember the first time i saw a picture of an emily fun run through this the skyscrapers of the city and it enchanted me. I just started running and I got into the next one and I'd only run at the most two miles before and I did the six miles. They said you can run, if you run, whatever you run at home, you can triple that in a race because of the, the crowd and the excitement and stuff like that. The best story though is my daughters were up from Florida. I was divorced and we were downtown messing around. The streets were pretty empty in those days and I said, let's go to Emily's And they didn't know what it was, so we went over. And they were just closing. It was about 2 o'clock on a Saturday. Like I said, the streets were empty. And Herb saw us and dragged us in and gave us ice cream and hot dogs. And the store was interesting. It wasn't hangout was the best thing you could say about the yeah. store. They could have called it that. They had kazoos and yo-yos and <laughs> yeah. frisbees and ice cream <laughs> and bubble gum. And it was just a place to go have fun, period. And then the energy in there was amazing. Herb took me aside one time and, and and told me that if he and Emily, they were so close, they were Detroit's John and Yoko before before time. And I don't know if that was before John and Yoko or not. But he said if we are in the same, if we're in the same room when we go into separate rooms we start looking for each other. And that's, that's the best part of the story I think. Thank you. Thank, very you. Sure. Thank you. Yeah,
0: it was a, a quite a nice friendship and I a, nice, a bright, Love story. I think it was. It was really wonderful. We met up at Mackinac Island, got stranded for eight days in the winter, and uh, oddly enough, we always say if that hadn't happened, we never would have made the time to really get to know each other. But you know, a lot of the things that I. First of all, let me ask: Does anybody have any particular questions they'd like to ask about about Emily's? And I see somebody here, Gabby. Gabby, come on up here for a minute. Gabby wrote me a letter. And she, last year, uh, a, a couple of years ago, she sent me emails, and I was Miss Gale, and she was really formal, and, and it was all about how she had a proposal, but she had taken a couple of years to have the courage to send me the email, and would I, you know, she was going to put it together and mail it to me, and she sent me the most beautiful book with a proposal about wanting to write a book. And I said, you know, I thought it was kind of premature, I wasn't quite ready yet, you know, and uh, so I said to her, well, why don't we meet? Because the book you put together to ask me if you could write a book was so beautiful and so well done and so articulate and just the heart she had and what she wrote. So we made an arrangement to meet at a restaurant, and I'm gonna kind of, and then she wrote a story after we met that was really really touchy. But I'm gonna let you if you can remember that how you felt.
3: Oh my goodness, it's, it does feel like a lot longer than it probably was that we reached out and the past year you came and saw me at the DIA last year right. about this time last summer, and in that proposal the people maybe what, a dozen people, and the past year I ticked them off from. Meeting Rudis uh-huh. uh, the Pettis and getting to kind of maybe work with her on her next book at the Henry Ford, things like that. People I can't wait for you to meet. And uh, just the people I've met this past year, I think that's how I gauge them. If <laughs> if I get the vibe that I want Emily to meet them
0: or <laughs> I need uh-huh. them to know of Emily. And do you remember the day we met and had breakfast and the story you wrote afterwards? Yes, we, I think it was about my mom and about you and just
3: it's. I don't know, it's almost coming full circle, but the circle keeps getting bigger.
6: Yeah,
0: yeah. And that was the thing that I had said to her, was that you know you, you get out and you'll start meeting people and it'll become a bigger circle. And when she wrote something and sent it to me afterwards, it was like she thought she would be taking notes and then there I was taking notes all about her and she's the most beautiful writer and I told her just keep on writing because it was she's written three or four things that she sent to me that are absolutely wonderful and that's what she loves to do right and I love that I love when people reach out to me and and want to be encouraged or how did you do it and then I get some people like I got an email last week somebody sent me from Toronto said I'm from Toronto I've been to Detroit I love what's going on in the city and I want to make coloring books and raise money to help the schools and and I, there's so many places there that I love, where should I start? So I sent her back an email, and I said, well, I would start with making a coloring page for each of those places that you really like. I didn't hear back from her, you know, because to, to me at the end of the, the email, it was kind of like she was saying, well, tell me how to do this. You know, and, and then I wrote her another email a couple days later because my mind was like, you know, it could be a coloring book, but the best place to start is simple. Just start simple, make one page at a time of the places that you like. And then, you you know, one at a time, you're going to have a, a book at the end. But I, I could tell, and then a few days later, I wrote back, you know, I wasn't trying to discourage you. I was trying to encourage you to start with just what you said. You love places in Detroit. Go ahead and make a coloring page for that. I don't have all the answers for you. I, there are no magic answers when people want to do things. And I think that's the thing that, you know, we never had a plan like, let's have a, let's come up with a slogan. The way the Say Nice Things About Detroit phrase or movement started was Herb and I were down in Florida walking the beaches and everybody's down there, right? Walking up and down the beaches and they were going, aren't you glad you're out of Detroit? And we went, well, that's, we don't really like hearing that. So we came up with four months later on Easter weekend, we hired a banner for $400 to fly the beaches from Miami to Fort Lauderdale over Easter weekend. And that banner said, hi Detroiters. In fact, we've got some copies of the, the, one of the front pages here said, hi Detroiters, enjoy Florida, say nice things about Detroit, Emily. And we were savvy enough about the press to get some some friends that were with UPI to uh, get a photograph of it and send it out. And I think it's that back one there, Claire, all the way in the back. Oh, that one you've got. Well, the one Claire has here. For the next part of the story. Yeah, the next part of the story. Well, the first one was in Florida. Well, the next part of the story was when they announced that the Republicans were coming to... And by the way, this was all survival. Elena... And Colleen, is Julie here tonight? Is Julie here? Oh, there you are, Julie. Oh, I didn't see there. Julie Atkinson, uh, Julie Fountain Atkinson. Julie ran our plant shop. And stand up there a minute, Julie. She was a real part of the team as well. And, and we're, we're very close now, just as I am with Colleen and Elena. And, and so everybody, Colleen and Julie and, and Ellen, you remember, anybody that was here remembers how the Republicans were pretty upset when, when Detroit was selected as the site for the Republican convention. And they were putting out that they were going to brown bag into the hotel rooms, and they were going to—they were going to come, you know, packing pistols or packing guns. And our thing was like, "Wow, we got to change that attitude." So since the banner had worked so well in Florida, we made arrangements with pilots all across the country in the state capitals, every state capital city. And some of them wanted to be paid, but most of them believed us that we would get them some press. And we collaborated with um, with uh, John McMurray from WJR. And for about two months John would call us every morning because we told the pilots, just be on, on alert, you know, we're gonna tell you what day to go up. And one day John called and he said, Hey, we got good weather in like forty two cities, so we you know, tomorrow you're over the next couple of days. So we called everybody and the idea that we wanted we ended up in 38 cities and we got front page news and a lot of newspapers and you know, second page all all throughout. But the whole idea of it was like, we had a, uh, Viva La Mardi Gras in New Orleans. We had uh, got a picture of it here. Speak warmly of Alaska when we did it in Alaska. But it went up in all these cities and all we wanted was to get the, capture the attention of the press so that they would call and ask us what we were doing. And what we were doing was we were saying, Change that attitude. You know, you're gonna to come to Detroit, you're gonna get warm, welcome, reassuring, downtown hugs from everybody. And you can start by coming to Emily's. And as we all know, anybody that was here, that Republican convention was a huge success. Yeah, that's, I think, Wisconsin State Journal and then High Alaska Speak Warmly of Detroit. But we knew from that, you know, that it, it was working. And, and I when I started the Emily's Across the Street, we were kind of like a crate and barrel. And we had really nice high-end suit, do you remember that? Uh, you know, we had and wine glasses and Michelle. Stand up there a minute for Michelle. I want you to tell your story, come here a minute, come here. And and so eventually we realized, you know what, this isn't working. And so when the Detroit stuff, like the Detroit shirt worked, eventually the whole store was Detroit things. We had sweatpants and we had, we had sweatshirts. I think every inch of that store had something with Detroit, from tenants to rulers to, Everything mugs, and it was it was a wonderful uh, opportunity for people for gifts. And for us, we found that wow, that was really fun. You know, rather than wrapping wine glasses, it was a whole lot a whole lot of fun to have people buy a shirt. But Michelle, I mean, the different ways that people came in and started working were really interesting. So you tell your story.
7: Okay, um, my name is Michelle, and around 1975 is when I started working at Emily's across the street, and it was when the store had. Nice jewelry, nice clothing, Um, you could go in there and get, people were playing backgammon. So it it was like Crate and Barrel. Um, And I don't know how I heard about it. I went to Wayne State, but I came to Emily. I was at a low point in my life. I was very young, 20. And I said, I'll come and work for free. I wanted to be part of that energy. And she said, you're hired. And I (laughs) said, but I I paid her. (laughs) But she paid me, and not only did she pay me, Um, I was encouraged to start running, I ran for the next 25 years. Um, And so I've told people that Emily was one of those people that came along in my life at an intersection. And I've admired her, and um, she did change the course of my life in in ways. So I thank her for that. And one day, about five years ago, after I had my first grandchild, I thought of Emily. And I thought, I'm going to get in touch with her. So I went online, found her phone number, and we've been in touch ever since. Yeah. That's a nice breakfast the yep.
0: Northern Eastern Market, and we talk a lot, and and uh, Michelle's been really involved in the Matrix Theater. And last year, when we left the uh, farmer's restaurant, I was doing a little video of hers, and then I was reading about the Matrix later, and found out that, well, actually, Jacques uh, Tanis Jacques Tannis, Jacques Tannis uh, you know, Shinola picked up the tagline, Say Nice Things. And he invited me to come to the ribbon cutting for the dog park opening. And it was really fun to be there because so many people came up. Like uh, uh, Janet Jones, who has the Sourcebook store, she ran in the races. And so many people came up to me and, and said hello. And one of them was Mary Ann. Come here, Mary Ann. You. And you know, the reason I share this is because the whole thing about Emily's and what's continuing now, like, like meeting Trish, I mean, we've just become spirit friends and and being mutually supportive i'm going to go out and see what they're doing i learned what they're doing and it's all a spin-off of what we were doing we were just doing it a different way i'm just glad i'm not happy to do it you know <laughs> but they're the ones that are working so hard now so at the dog park opening marianne came up to me she worked at emily's also and now she's the executive director of the matrix theater yeah. so
10: I was so happy to see Emily at the dog park, wasn't I? I yeah, was. Just, of I was. I was so happy because she's my hero, like she is all of us. And um, I was in college studying journalism at Central Michigan, and my roommate was a West Side Detroiter. I'm a Northeast Side Detroiter, Hamtramck girl. And when people would ask us where we were from, we would say Detroit, and they're like, "Oh, you're from Gross Point." And we're like, "No, we're from Detroit." And they're like, "Oh, you're from Sterling Heights." And we're like, "No, we're from Detroit," and they wouldn't believe us. So we went down to Emily's and we bought all that great stuff and eventually I ended up working for her and doing the race stuff. But what we did is we painted that Detroit, and I'm sorry, it was in the bathroom, but it was the only wall that we had (laughs) that was big enough. And people from all over Central Michigan campus were saying, we want to see the Detroit wall.
6: And so they would come in I never did
10: and uh, unfortunately they painted it over when we when we moved out that um, Semester, but everybody would come and then we would tell them all the good things that were happening in Detroit And so I feel that I love Detroit as much as you do and have always tried to be an ambassador And I'm thrilled to be at matrix with Michelle because there's a lot of good energy and good things that are going on in Detroit So so glad to be part of it
0: and what I love about it is so many people that worked uh, on the team at Emily's are also involved. And I, I know Colleen, do you, you, you want to say a few words, Colleen? Yeah, okay. And, and that's what's so important to me is they each tell me that they, they kept it going. They were inspired to, to do it. Elena and, and Anne Fracassa. Anne is in the Pioneer Building with her, her uh, art studio and the Fricasa family. You know, I mean, how can you not know about the Fricasa family? Uh, and, right. Yeah, it's just it's fantastic. And of course, is it your uncle? Would it be that was Brother Rice? Yes, the football coach Brother Rice. Yeah, but uh, it's just been so fun to, to be in touch with the people that worked there, and we we all have such good memories of because we worked hard. It was always a struggle. We were always pulling it along behind us. You know, people thought we were like, you know, rolling in dough, but we weren't. We, it was always a struggle. As it is for all small entrepreneurs, which is why I encourage people to really, you know, go in and tell entrepreneurs, that even if you're not buying something, you know, I like what you're doing and encourage them. It's very difficult as a, as a small entrepreneur. You're probably, Trish, at the 8 Mile Boulevard Association, uh, finding that out. Yes. As you, as a fellow, something maybe you didn't know before. Yes.
3: I can definitely say that, um, small businesses, startups are struggling, um, you know, always. But nonprofits as well. You know, we're always trying to find a new way to um, to you know make our mission happen. And something that worked ten years ago doesn't work anymore. So it's messaging, and, and so nonprofits are also constantly struggling.
0: And I think that's the what I love is that I see so much support. You know, last week when Marsha, Marsha, you want to come say a few words when Marsha was here last week. It, you know, she she touched so many. I I told her I called her the next day. was I just want to say a few words, and I talked for about an hour and a half to her. What an impact she she made with me. But I said, you know, Marsha, you really clarified for me a lot of confusing feelings that I have about Detroit. You love what's going on, and at the same time, you know, I I don't know. I mean, how many people here sometimes have some confusing feelings about what's going on? You're really happy with it, and at the same time, so.
8: Bless
0: Let's talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Oh, bless but, uh, your heart. Well, here. Somebody get this picture. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Tara Revin is out there getting uh, some photographs there. I really appreciate Tara. Just, uh, we'll get her story in a little bit. But, Marcia, what do you got to say about that wonderful talk you gave last week and being here this week? Oh, bless your heart. You. Well, my name is uh, Marcia Music,
8: and I am a writer. And I write about Detroit. And I, uh, as many people here, remember Emily from the days when she was downtown in her store, and I too used to visit her store downtown. However, I began encounter, hey, (laughs) hey, (laughs) right, right, Facebook friend! Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, But uh, it, it so happens that I, Uh, became more acquainted with me on Facebook uh, because actually I was searching for her sister. Uh, I had been best friends with her sister for a period of years. You know how you have intersections with people uh, in your life? And she and I were very intense and good friends back in the mid to late 80s. And I was kind of searching for her on Facebook to see if I could reconnect with her and I ran into your name. And, uh, and I think I connected with you at that time. But what happened is that that was maybe, I don't know, some months or a year ago, maybe, but I, uh, I'm a writer, as I say, and I have a blog called, uh, Martian music, a grown woman's tales from Detroit. And in that blog, I, uh, write about music, but I also write about increasingly the changes in the city. And I wrote a piece called the kidnapped children of Detroit. And it emanated from my experiences growing up in Highland Park that was changing from majority white to majority black. And I grew up, and I'm a very frank speaker on the issue of race, which is very comforting because it is devoid of the type of entendres and sarcasm and underlying attacks and anger that can happen when people are not directly speaking about the elephant in the table. I believe when the elephant is there, let's talk to the elephant. So I wrote this piece, and it's always very much moved people. I'm just very blessed that this piece came through me because I likened the baby boomer of my age, uh, the baby boomer generation who were skirted out of the city with being kidnapped. And they are the kidnapped children of Detroit. The children whose parents were driven from the city by fear. And I believe that I have been very blessed to have been able to articulate um, a viewpoint that has not commonly been expressed. And it allows for engagement of conversation without blame and animus. Because I am going to the essential victimhood of all of us in this nasty thing that uh, that happened here in the city, in the division of the city. There are no winners in that. So I wrote that piece and it's been floating around and it's actually I think in an anthology. Um, but then uh, I, uh, I wrote another piece that followed it as a result of it called Just Say Hi. And Just Say Hi is my remonstration to the young people who are moving into the city, particularly the young whites that are moving into the city and it is an expression of the mantra of us older black people who have lived here all the time who constantly complain that the young kids moving in the city don't even speak to us. <clears throat> so as people have encountered me and talked about what can we do, Marcia, in order to engage in this city, because many people do ask me things like that, I ended up writing this poem for a book. Uh, and called just say hi and that's where that comes from because it is a metaphor of course the problems in this city are not going to be caused by just saying hi solved by just saying hi but it is an expression of the need for engagement with one another as human beings so last week I came here to talk about the kidnapped children of Detroit and just say hi and Emily was here and she and I just twinned.
0: <laughs> I, I recorded it, so I'm gonna make a podcast of it and post yes. it. Yes. Because it's, you need to hear it.
8: And so she's such a lovely spirit. I have such admiration for her because people are very euphemistic about that period, but I am very, uh, very clear that the period of time, it's very easy now to talk about how you love Detroit. And it's very cool now to talk about loving Detroit. But in the days in which Emily was doing this, it is very hard for young people today to understand how heroic it was. And she was doing this under the innocuousness of having fun, of passing out kazoos, (laughs) balloons, and all ice cream cones, all this kind of thing. But it was a very difficult time because the city was besieged by animus, by utter hatred. The contempt for the city was so great. And the people who were leaving here and looking back and wondering, why on earth would you stay in that hellhole? And Emily stood out like light and said, say nice things about Detroit. Just that little innocuous statement is heroic. And even though people don't understand it today because, well, everybody wants to say nice things now. But back then, when you were standing out on a plank by yourself, Mm -hmm. that's a very serious thing. So I admire her and I thank you. And
0: I wanna say that the thing about Archie's talk last week is she had such candor but it was had an optimism to it. There's there's nothing that is there's no bitterness to what she shared. It was it, well, you were. It was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, I mean, it, it, she was able to express things that we've all felt and thought, and you know. Tried to exchange with people and talk about, it, but it was done in, in a beautiful way. That like, wow, you walked out feeling elated, well, right? That's, that's what the truth does. It, yeah, yeah. It, I guess the truth is thing. Mm-hmm. So I thank bless you. Your for that. Bless yeah, your heart. bless thank you. Oh, I'm so happy. she came. I didn't know that she was a friend of my sister's right, until right. last week when right. I called up and said, "I just want to talk to you for a few minutes," and we ended up talking for an hour. Yeah, now, so. yeah. So a couple of other people at uh, Tara Rim. You come, come say hello. She's another caretaker of the Say Nice Things About Detroit. And, you know, I feel like there's so many stories I can talk, but it's the people that, were, that came into the store. It was the people that worked at Emily's, the people that worked on the races. It was everybody that, that made it all happen. I always say, yeah, we did it, but we did it with a whole lot of help from a whole lot of friends. And uh, I met Tara last year. She's got an incredible story talking about someone never give up. She's Korean. She was adopted. And, um... I met her last year in kind of a, a a sweet way, and I started following her story. I, I just grilled her the night I met her. I, yes. I remember that. I think, oh you know, God, that was a little too much, you know. <laughs> but the story was that she needed a a um, bone marrow yes. transplant, and she was waiting ten years and getting right down to the to the end, you know. But she, I gave her a T-shirt, and, yeah. <laughs> and she just uh, her her spirit is just uh, touched me. Um, what what she has shared, but a few words about your love of the city and, and what you've learned about never giving up, which was all, what we always, always used to say. A couple of things we used to say whenever school kids came into the story, I used to always say, Detroit's a big enough city that it makes a difference in the world, and it's a small enough city that an individual can make a difference. And I remember looking in the faces of school kids at that time, you know, and just realizing that they, they knew that I mentored because I was lo- I was discovering that about myself. Wow, we're making a difference here, mm-hmm. and you, we could feel it. And, and so to try to, to pass that on to people and mentor it, so a few
11: words. Yeah, I um, I actually met Emily, I think it was a long, more the than a year, the but the one yeah, one it, was at, it was at the Shinola party, and um, my friend RJ is a good friend of mine, and he was um, very supported by head cancer and was supposed to die in three years, and miraculously made it for ten. And then, like Emily said, when I was about to, you know, not do so well, I ended up getting a match, and I had my, I was born again in Detroit, Mm -hmm. at Carano's. So, yeah. I was so actually born in South Korea. I was adopted. I came here to Detroit. Um, and I my parents lived on the east side. But yeah, so I was born in Detroit and my our friend RJ is always saying, Oh Tara, how cool you were born again in Detroit. I'm like, Yeah I was like, Tell I like, born in Detroit, you know, it's so awesome. But I mean I was I used to sell advertising, I don't anymore, but I did meet a lot of small business owners. Um, my family, my mom's side of the family is one of them and the struggle um, for small businesses for these people that are just passionate about the city and and doing something on their own or for other people. And when I met Emily, I'm like, I didn't I didn't know Emily like I know Emily now, but after I left I was like, Oh my god, that lady is awesome. <laughs> like her spirit is just like so free and it's and and a lot of people were speaking on how fearless you are and going through something like I went through where you think you're gonna die and I have a son, I was a single mom and And um, just a lot of judgment growing up, and I've been beaten and, I don't know, said I was never going to make anything of my life, and now I have a son who's serving in the Marine Corps, and I'm meeting fantastic people like Emily, and I'm coming to things like this in Detroit, where my family, even though they are from here, you know, I was like, oh, you better be careful. Like, well, you know, people just got robbed in Sterling Heights, too, you know, Mom? I'm I'm like, it's no big deal, it's all good, you know, so I'm just... I'm very blessed, and I love that so many people. Each time I see Emily, she's you know she tell, told me about this tonight, and so I'm like I got to come, and I look around, and I'm like there's so many awesome people here, and everybody is different, and but we're also unified in in the city. So I'm just. Very
0: happy. Yeah. Well, I, I, and Tara, to me, is just, uh, she thinks my favorite great. I think the way she held on, she has a blog, or, it's called uh, com, and it's really worth reading. Morrowmovement.com. that? And it's, I've ended up doing a lot more on from my radio show, I have uh, Emily T. Gale show on ESPN com, And I've done shows with people, done shows with uh, Tara, but really learning more about donors, being a, a donor and organ donor and all kinds of things, she's really opened up my own awareness of, of what we can all do to, to save lives. It's one thing trying to save a city, but boy, when you can save lives. And, and particularly when you read her story when she found out that she they found someone. Because being Korean, it was very hard to match up. So it was a very nice story. And I was, she's so supportive of everything. And I'm so glad that Emily and Andy Lynn came and Arthur. And years ago when they were opening City Bird, and, and I, you know, this is what I feel is important, is that we're all, uh, Claire put something up on the, the Urban Consulate, come on over here, Emily and Andy. And she, and the other day, at the last line, it said, uh, come here, Emily, talk about the past and the present. And I feel the best way to talk about the past meeting the present is for the people that are part of the past, and part of the present to be to the speaking. So that's when I decided, wow, well, I'm gonna ask people to say a few words. So Emily and Andy wrote me a letter when they were opening Hi, Arthur, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> we met last year. Well, oh, he's <laughs> And they wrote me a letter and they said, My name is Emily and we we have t-shirts from your store. We used to come in when we were kids and my parents used to run in your races and and their dad is, is he still with the Tiger Conservancy? Yes, he was involved with the yeah. Conservancy, yeah. So, and then, you know, they ran in the races, and she said, do you mind if we used your phrase? And I was like, you better. Mm-hmm. I mean, your you're name being Emily, it's only natural that you use it, and you carry it on and, and move it on to the next generation. And we have just, the whole idea was that we would mentor each other and, and, and share with each other what we were doing. And I love what they've done at City Bird, and they took over... Uh, When Claire was in the space, they now also have the nest, but we've become good friends. And, uh, you know, I'm always telling them how to do retail, right? <laughs> like, like I know, I've know, i been there. Let me tell you a little something. But what's nice about it is they always say, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> so a few words about just, you know, here in the city. And, and Andy and Emily, they used to ride their bikes. I mean, they grew up on Marquette Drive, was it? Okay. Or over by, yeah, very subdivision. So, in fact, how many people here, parents, grew up in the city and ended up moving moving out of the city? I think that's probably most of the room. I would be, wouldn't be surprised. And Colleen, I know her parents were a long time, and it, it that's what we hear that all the time, right? I'm always amazed, and somebody back there, uh, uh, Patricia Cunningham, I just talked to her the other day, she's going to say a few words, but to discover that she grew up on Chalmers and, and Jefferson, and I always thought she was a downriverite. And then she said that, I said, what? You grew up in the city? She said, yeah. What I love about it, because she just moved into the city, is that at nine years old, I used to ride my bike and enter the same area where I'm living now. So there's a lot of things coming full circle. But Emily and Andy's family has been here for years, and they opened the store, and some words about our relationship. Sure. Yeah, well, as Emily said, um, we wrote her a letter, because when we were kids, we used to go to her,
1: her shop um, with our parents, and actually... Uh, because she's had some things that said Emily on them, I have benefited from having lots of like Emily's across the street bumper stickers everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but I think Emily's shop and her story and her passion for the city were really inspirational to us when we were kids and I think helped to inspire us to open our shop and we were so excited when we reached out to her to, um, to actually hear from her and to become friends with her and it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and, and get, your, get your good advice about the shop and,
12: and work together with, uh, with your, your movement.
0: You. Yeah. And a little bit about, you guys have such a broad spectrum of what you work on,
4: and you done some... Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, would just, I would just sort of, sort of, uh, I, I would say that, that, that Emily kind of captured the sentiment. I think that, that it's been really wonderful to get to know Emily, and, 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 to, and to get to carry on her message, and, and, uh, and, and also to share in, in her love for the city.
0: And, and what I love about it was when they did write me the letter and I called them up, I think, I think Emily was a little timid about putting Emily on everything. I said I, I that's I love it. You know, it doesn't matter. It's it just carries it on in such a, a generous way. So of course they have say nice things about Detroit Emily shirts and yeah, uh, greeting cards and it's really been fun and I love what they've done and they, they're so they're very artistic. They're pretty they're pretty modest about just how artistic and how hard they work, but they've done some wonderful things. And I'm so glad you could oh, to get goodbye yeah. stop by for a few minutes. That, yeah. So yeah, yeah I love that. By. Appreciate it's it. Hello to your parents. Thank you. Yeah, give me a we're gonna yes. for a yeah, time. Yeah, thank you. In the back. you so Julie, come say right. a few words. Julie worked with me for years and then Julie was if you ever worked in the Renaissance Center, for years she was the one that took all the care of all the plants in the Renaissance. But she we had a plant store at Emily's and that was in the seventies and eighties when people didn't have plants and we thought, oh a plant store would be good at. you know everybody was starting to take an interest and Julie was really into plants and had been all her life and she came and she ran that aspect of it. But I uh, also worked on the runs and all kinds of, uh, very involved for years and we've stayed in, in touch over the years. Yeah, it's been a great experience.
13: Um, Emily and I met down river. I had a little shop called Down to Earth on Groceal, and um, her friend Kathy Brockmiller came by my shop and saw that I had plants in bottles. And she said, Emily's gotta see this. So Emily came by and saw it and before you know it, Emily saying, well, on consignment, can you do a few bottles? And bring them to the store, and we'll see if we can sell them. And it's history from there. We did really well with the bottles, <laughs> and it's great. And I wanted to say something about um, my experience with Detroit, because with my horticulture, I traveled. I was on the merry-go-round. Whenever an area depleted when downtown, moved to the Renson, the financial district, well, that's where I went. Then I saw the Rensen Deplete, and off Detroit. And then it was downtown Burbank and Southfield, and many numerous spots in Southfield, and Canton. And now it's back downtown again. So my experience in Detroit is like a merry-go-round, and it's all Detroit to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm
0: she's she's just a, a wonderful spirit like everybody that worked with us and you know midtown i look at midtown and everything that's happening but i think it's really important to acknowledge people like uh uh scott and carolyn lowell who did, had just opened the uh, the uh, forest arms but they had the traffic jam you know there's so many new spots and i, I justin and Leah who opened run detroit a few years ago I really give them credit, that was the first running store in Detroit, I know the Nike store just opened, but I, you know, and and in many ways you can say the theory of abundance there's enough room for everybody, but it is kind of shocking to you when you're the small business person and it comes, but I mean they're doing great, I talked to them and they've done so many wonderful things and they had a couple years, a a head start on on the Nike store and they do a lot of runs on Saturday mornings, so anyway, you can support you know, those those kind of stores and stuff. uh, some of the other people, I mean, Sue Mosley, I remember when Sue started Midtown Detroit back in 1970s, I think, or something like that, and you look at the commitment, that's what I'm so taken by, is how many people committed and stayed in Detroit. And the other thing that I love so much is it used to be you had to be in Detroit to be a Detroit lover. Or, you know, if you'd live somewhere else, how could you really be a, a Detroiter. But there's a there's a group now that puts out an event called uh, Detroit Homecoming. And I know I see Colleen here, and Robar who's uh, very involved in it. And Cranes has is, is, uh, been putting that on the last couple of years. And Jim Hayes, who is somebody who, who lived in Detroit, worked with First <laughs> Illustrated, uh, moved away, became the publisher of Forbes, uh, what was it, Fortune magazine, uh, for many years. And um, he ended up somewhere else, but he loved Detroit. And he wanted to come back here and do something and contribute to the city. And I, think, I love what he has espoused and what they've made more people realize It those of us that we don't live here, I'm working my way back, by the way, but you know, wherever somebody lives, they can be an ambassador for Detroit. I mean, whether it's in Birmingham or downriver, there's all kinds of reasons why somebody maybe can't live in Detroit or doesn't or whatever, but they can certainly be contributing in many ways. And I think they've, by having the Detroit Homecoming, they've brought in millions of dollars of people that have the, the resources and the contacts that are able to bring monies in into the city. And it's been, I don't know, Colleen, if you want to say a few words, but the reason I think it's important is it all kind of, when I look back and when people say, you were the one that started it all, You know, sometimes I think that, you know, I mean, there were times probably while I was doing it, I thought we did it because I used to do TV shows and there'd be a panel, like in the TV stations, there'd be three or four people, it was all about what was going around in Detroit, and then there was the, there was the pigtail Pollyanna, you know, and you know, there are all kinds of things that, you know, I remember one columnist said, I think she inhales the helium that she, from the balloons that she wears on her pigtails, you know, Well, you know, Pollyanna, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a Pollyanna. Because behind that, we really know what it takes to make something happen. But it's always a lot more fun to spread uh, an upbeat atmosphere than it is to to be a... And I used to always say, well, people don't want to come in and, and, you know, hear us grumble about how difficult it is. And, uh, you know, I think that that's... um, Something that, uh, that I'm really happy that I've got that in my soul, you know, to always try to be upbeat, whatever, whatever's going on. And there's so many people that I've met that would be doing things around the city and putting signs up or something like that. And one of those people is a gentleman by the name of T.J. Samuelson. I would, I would see on Facebook this, this uh, thing where he'd have signs out around the city and it'd be a, a, like a treasure hunt. And if you found the sign, you could keep the sign. And I was like, who's doing that? But the sign always said, say nice things about Detroit. So TJ, come on up here and say a few words. And, and if you, does anybody know about that? Have you ever found one of the signs? And you have? I mean, it's it's pretty cool. He gives a little hint of where they are, and, and they then they're out somewhere around the city. And to me, those are all the spin-offs of the things that we did. Everybody has found some way to take this feeling that we had And and share their love of the city, and whether whether it's working for the eight mile, being a fellow like the other twenty three fellows at all, and many of those fellows moved from other cities, didn't they, Mm -hmm. to come here to Detroit to be a Detroit fellow. Whatever somebody's doing, they're really just doing what we were trying to do. We just happened to do it out of a retail space. Thanks for being here. Uh
14: (laughs) Glad you're here. Well, actually, I was. I just sprayed some of these up to drop them off. I didn't know that. uh, I'd be talking.
0: (laughs) Tell me about what you do, because they're all over the city. In fact, Krista, where's Krista? Here's somebody I met in Hawaii at the Waimea Ocean Film Festival at the Four Seasons, which is a beautiful film festival. She was such a good volunteer, and I started talking to her, found out she was from the Detroit area. And uh, we got in touch, in touch with each. We stayed in touch with each other. She helped me on my tech questions. I call her now, but i to here on Detroit. She mentors me on technology. But she loves the city. And she was wandering downtown a couple of weeks ago, and she sent me a picture. And it was one of your signs in the window on Cass, wow. of uh, can't remember where, but I've got the picture of it. But you put them everywhere, and I love that.
14: Oh, that might have been on uh, Del Pryor's gallery. Since oh, just learned that she was here too. Yeah. Yeah, but that's part of the change that's going on in Detroit is that where she is now, she's month by month and somebody could come in and pay four times as much and they can't afford it. So I mean it's part of the change. It's I used to be able to just drive where I wanted to and park and it would be easy, but now I have to actually take a spot when I see it. But it's uh it's double edged. It's good and it's bad. Yeah. Boy, do they write tickets.
0: And, and, you know, there was a cartoon in the Detroit News once that said, Emily Gale is right, there's there's uh, five times as many things in Detroit as, as not, you know. And that was the whole thing is, are there are there more good things happening than not? And we, people would say, oh, there's so many things that can be worked on. Well, I think it's just like an individual. I have shortcomings I'm working on but I don't want people to focus on that when they're talking about me. You know, I mean, and I think that you know the city is the collective energy of everybody and all the things that are being worked out in the city. And I'm just amazed at how many people are doing so much good trying to correct and, and, and do something about the challenges that we all, that are very apparent. And yet at the same time, I love what's going on. I think it's pretty special, and I think what the, oh, little, is. the little thing that you do, going around and putting the signs up, and tell yeah. them how you do that, where well, people I, can find
14: them. You know, I wear a couple different hats. One of them is, uh, I do a weekly scavenger hunt for art. So I put these out, I mean, I, you know, it's stuff every week. If you know artists, I mean, it's open for anybody to contribute, it's open for anybody to go look for stuff. I stenciled up some Stein hands. So, finders, keepers, Detroit on Facebook. Uh, but with the stencil, with uh, with using Emily's phrase, it, I heard she was in town, so I was like, ah, I'm going to make a stencil. And I was uh, working with Set On A Detroit, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to put it on the bench. And I tagged her and said, tell your people, put books in the bench, because they Provide seating at bus stops because uh, DDOT doesn't seem to uh, really care if people are standing or not. But uh, so that's one thing. I volunteer with the Heidelberg project. So if you walk up into the numbers house, put it right on the stairs. So it's around town, but I uh, I figured it's easier to make these at home and put them out rather than spray paint on things around town because. Uh, The city's cracking down. (laughs) And they've actually decided to define what is art. Because we're going around and ticketing buildings that have allowed murals to be put up. Mm
6: -hmm.
14: And, I mean, the Supreme Court couldn't define art. So, I think it's a big problem when the city uh, haphazardly decides on a case-by-case basis what is and what isn't art. So that's a that's a talk for another time. But uh. <laughs>
0: well, what I love is it's the same nice things about Detroit. That he, oh, yeah. around Downtown and people go out and find them and they love to keep them. And uh, so I called TJ, another one of our caretakers.
14: Yeah, and, so I'll just, you know, put them out. There was one at the uh, Ransom Gillis house. That, you know, they had the big opening, so I was like, oh, I'm going to put one there. And I didn't expect it to last, but I don't know. Last I, last I saw, it was still there. Some disappeared, some stay.
0: But and I love uh, it because yeah, it spreads the message.
14: Yeah, the positivity. So it's, it's, yeah, it's easy. It's easy to uh, to be dark with what's going on in the world. But uh, you know, it's stuff like that that keeps you going, re-energizes you. Thank you, T.G. I appreciate it. Well, thank it. you. Yeah.
0: So there's another person here that used to work at Blue Cross for years and. And I live down the river and it's uh, Pat Cunningham. Patricia, want to say a few words? Yes. Sir. And she was going to open a business. She, she retired from Blue Cross. And this is what I love when I keep meeting people around the city. Usually they reach out to me on Facebook and they'll say something like, I used to come in your store and, gosh, if you're ever in town, would you give me a call or could we get together? And I try to, you know, every trip and get in touch with some of those people or, or make a phone call or stop by. And Patricia, um, was going to open a business out in Royal Oak or somewhere in the suburbs, and then she decided, "Gosh, I worked at Blue Cross all those years. I like being downtown." What I didn't know when I first heard her story was that she had grown up in Detroit. But she opened Lafayette Laundry and uh, over in Lafayette Park and and now has moved back into the city. Great. Great. Yep. And she told me the story about how she looked at places out in Royal Oak and Birmingham, and she said, you know, I would really like to do something in Detroit and be a part of what's going on in there. And I stopped by her, she reached out to me on Facebook page and said, will you stop by sometime? So, I think i might have even go in to do some laundry <laughs> you know yeah.
15: she's very sweet when she tags it as reaching out on facebook it was more like we stalked her. I found her, and, and I, th- th- these folks started selling her T-shirts, and I said, oh, my God, she, there's a whip that she's around. I'm stalking her. So I flat-out haunted her down on Facebook and made her come into the store. So thank you for that kindness. Now, for Emily and I, I grew up in Detroit on Lakewood and Jefferson. Kraske's was on the corner, Saunders, Bill Schwinn, Cunningham Drugs, all that stuff. I went to St. Martin's. Our school closed, which was... Uh, an epidemic back then in the late 60s, all those Catholic high schools were closing. Um, my father uh, bought a business in Wyandotte downriver, and we ended up moving to Gros I thought my world had stopped. I thought, what is this? My god, what is this place? <laughs> Where There's no seat sidewalks, there's no street lights, and for crying out loud, there's no playgrounds. What am I supposed to do? I'm a city kid. I grew up going to Guyton Playground and playing sports. I would get on my bike, ride to the playground, street lights come on, you better get home. We moved to Gros Seals, like, oh, what? oh, oh, culture shock. So my mom and dad, I stopped talking to my mom altogether. I was so enraged. So they put me down at the country club and a social membership and I started playing tennis. I didn't know what else to do with myself. And I saw this woman and I started playing tennis with her and little did I know, it was Emily from Emily's across the street. Now, I have three older sisters, and each time one of them got a license, it was like, Patty, go ask Dad if we can go use the car. I'm taking you for a ride. And we would go to Emily's, and that's how I got introduced to her store. Uh, you know, Then I'm playing tennis with her on Gros seal, this dreaded, dreaded gross seal. So she saved that relationship with my mother because once I started playing tennis with Emily Gale, life was good. But i worked at Blue Cross for 27 years uh, downtown here, and I retired at 55. I hadn't had enough of that, and my partner and I um, thought we would do something entrepreneurial. We wanted to do a laundromat. It's easy, you just open it, you keep it nice, and you don't really have to work that hard. And it was like, oh, this is perfect, it's recession-proof, you know. So we picked in, uh, this place in Madison Heights, and we thought, oh, it was perfect. Well, these gentlemen that helped us mentor this and helped us build it said, you know, there's this spot in Detroit in this plaza called Lafayette Park, and it was two blocks in the shadows of, of Blue Cross. So we went down there, and it was like it just felt right. We went to some networking meetings. We fell in love with these twenty and thirty year olds. I think they call them millennials. And their vision, I, their vision. There was a, there was a room like this, 125 people, who were invited in, who were trying to invest somehow, some way in Detroit. And these twenty year olds, I, I was so impressed with their energy, and their commitment to quietly taking the reins again of this city. And we believed in that and we had to have, we had to come back to Detroit. My partner's from Detroit, her father was a police officer for 54 years in Detroit and it was just the right fit. Uh, We sold our house, I sold my condo, we sold all of our belongings, we moved to an apartment in Detroit on the river and every morning I get up and have coffee and I look out that window and I see that river and I pinch myself because it's where my dad taught me how to swim, how to fish, how to skate, how to play hockey and here I am all these years later not a nine-year-old on her bicycle tooling around the city i'm a 59 year old in my camaro (laughs) convertible driving around the city and exploring it all new like a little kid once again so it's really exciting that we've rekindled our relationship through the stalking process (laughs) and i couldn't be happier to uh to have her in my life and and uh, she called me the day we talked for 50 minutes and it was just, it was delightful. So thank you for being you.
0: Thank you, Throughout thank you. And I, when I called her here, I called her because I said, whenever I see anything on Facebook, I can see how happy you are living in the city. And before they moved in there, when she was talking about it, I would call her and say, you gotta do it. You're, you won't believe how much different it's gonna be from living where you are. I didn't know Patricia well, we haven't spent a lot of, any, really any time together, other than when I stopped in the laundromat and right. said hello. And, but when she, you know, she would talk to me, well, we're thinking of moving here, we're thinking of moving there, well, maybe rent something and get down there. And then when I saw that they had actually moved, and I've watched the happiness and the joy that they've had from their Facebook postings, it is, when you when you live in the city and you're riding your bike, and Trish, I don't think you've had a car for how many years? No, nope, nope, no, car. No
3: car. No car, just bike, bus, and... My foot. Yeah, I mean,
0: urban living is something that everybody it should be required, I think. <laughs> you know, and I need to point out, I grew up downriver. I didn't grow up in the city. My father, uh, the Trowbridge House in Jefferson, my little name is Trowbridge, and I the deep roots of my family. But, you know, it was a time when families moved out of the city. But my father would drive into Detroit every day at work, and we loved coming in with him. But whenever we'd come in, and I remember times that, like going over to Belle Isle, and I'd see people on the street corner. Right uh I think it was uh Pinky's. Pinkies and there was a white castle. And I, I remember seeing people stand on that corner and I used to think, I w I wanna do that. I wanna hang out on the street corner. And, and and that's really what we did when we had Emily's so Herb and I did a lot of hanging out. And and that's what I love about the city. There's nothing like it to be you know just tooling down the street on your bike or walking or stopping somewhere and talking to people on the street and hey and talking to all different kinds of people I, I just remember that I was like probably 10 12 years old and I said to myself one day I'm gonna live in the city and uh, I saw I know Chris is smiling because he knows exactly what I'm talking about everybody does right you, know, you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't have that love of the city you know Michelle his father's done a book on the on, on Detroit. He's retired now and lives in Florida. But Michelle said they when they came here, he was like insistent that they live in the city. What seven kids or something like that? Seven children. Yeah. Moved here in 1968. And just you know, he was not going to live in the suburbs. So I think it's pretty neat. You know, the whole recycling of, of a new generation, and, and a lot of people are bringing their parents back down, and they're seeing that there's a, there's a whole lot of uh, nice things going on that are. Uh, they've always been kind of going out, but not everybody has been able to avail themselves of the energy of the city for the, the fear that they have of coming down. But to me, it's always been there. I mean, I, I, I can remember policemen stopping Herb and I when we were running places going, You guys, you shouldn't be running here. It's kind of like what Marcia said last week. She was talking about the days of seeing uh, white families going down the sidewalk with a, a baby stroller. And they'd say, "Do they know? Do they know? You know, don't they realize?" And you know, because you get, you're kind of innocent. You're not really innocent. You just feel like you don't know as much of the history of what might happen. And sometimes that 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 uh, naivety can be uh, it can be a spark plug for people. It can really make them feel like you know you Trish. I think you're kind of like that. Oh my God! Yes.
3: Um, I can tell you guys a, a couple of funny stories. I've only, I've only lived here um, just about a year.
0: Tell them what you did in Washington when um, you your working.
3: Uh, well, I worked in wildlife conservation policy for 20 years, um, land use policy, transportation, that kind of stuff. But um, where's the just say hi? I'm your girl. I do that every day. I'm doing that every day when I ride my bike to work. You're going to get a hello from me. You're going to get a good morning. And if you don't want to say it back as soon as I get past you, Okay, no problem. So, and I love to post my stories on Facebook because not everybody wants to say hi back or sometimes they have something else they want to call me. So I was I was riding my bike to work one day and there are a couple dudes up on a roof, bright and early in the morning, fixing a roof. And I said, good morning. And they said, hey honky. <laughs> and I just laughed. I just thought, that's cool, that's fine. And then last week... Um, I won't, I won't tell you the beginning of the story but some dudes hanging out on, on a corner and they, uh, I said good morning and they said uh, something about my physique and it wasn't it wasn't um, unflattering but um, they were still trying to get my attention get me to stop and come back and talk to them and they said hey Jessica hey Samantha <laughs> and I just started laughing and they paused for a second then they went Heather? (laughs) And I just laughed when I rolled on, but I'm saying hi, and it might be naive, and it might be Pollyanna, I got pigtails too, but I'm going to say hi, and I'm going to say good morning, and I'm just going to keep doing it, because it doesn't cost me anything, but I hope that the next time some dumb white girl rolls by and says good morning to those cats, they can call her honky or whatever, but they might go, good morning.
0: Yeah, it's a and I love uh, uh, Trisha's post like in the wintertime. You know when she's getting around the city without a car, and she's she's like. Just very vigilant about the fact she is not going to have a car. Nope. No and she's car. going to get around in that way. And Sue, I just met Sue tonight. And you know, we talk about Corktown and hear about Corktown. When we had our runs, uh, we used to take it through Corktown. One of the runs would go through Corktown, then Mexican Town, and that was when there was the Porter Street Station. And Our runs were always designed, like when we went through Greektown, we had a Greek band. When we went down to the riverfront where it was the Soup Kitchen Saloon and the Rhinoceros and Woodbridge Tavern? everybody remember those places? And we used to drop uh, lines in from the phone company. I always thought we were pretty ahead of our time. But we dropped lines in from the phone company and then uh, tapped them into an amplifier. So everybody down at the Soup Kitchen Saloon, that was Brian McDonald and the gang and Marcia at the Woodbridge Tavern, they could hear everything I was saying at the starting line at at the races. And of course, Anybody that was at those runs knows the energy of the music and the conga lines and the dancing and, you know, a couple hundred kegs of beer, and the police would always say that the worst thing that ever happened was a, was a bad case of blisters, but the, the run was sort of the the afterthought of the day. The whole idea was that the day was to dance in the street, and we always had permission. In fact, uh, the trolley, everybody remember the trolley that was on Washington Boulevard? Yeah. Oh, yeah. As the run got bigger and bigger, and we needed a wider street to, you know, put that many people there, and we said, We really want to start in Washington, but you can't do it because the trolley's got to be able to come through. And by that time, I figured out how to... Talk to the to the policeman, you know. So I said, I promise you, we'll make sure they all get through. And they said, "How will you do?" I said, "Just just trust me, you know." Have we never kept our word? So we handed out these whistles to everybody. And when the, I always had a wireless mic, so I could go anywhere, and of course, and people could hear it all around the route. But at the end, when we were all dancing, so whenever we were, we were dancing in the street and everybody having a good time, and and we could hear the trolley coming or got the word of it, everybody would do their whistles. And thousands of people that were on the trolley tracks would park, and the trolley would come by. You know, it was just, it was, I, I think back in those days, it was so wonderful. Another race we went through, um, started on the rooftop of Coba Hall, and everybody came down that spiral uh, ramp, and down Cass, and, and uh, Tom Monaghan had just bought the Detroit Tigers, he wasn't really well known then. And uh, we had Tom come and start the race, and we started it on the rooftop of Cobo Hall, and we, had, uh, we were pretty good friends with the police by that time, and Herb and I had gone through the repelling course for the fire department, and we our goal was that we were going to repel out of the helicopter, which was a little ambitious, <laughs> but instead our friends from the police department flew over the start of the race, and this was our own little to immigration, they, they came out of the helicopter and they dropped the Canadian and the American flag <laughs> as they went over the uh, the, uh, the start of the race. But we dug a cast, took a lap through Tiger Stadium, we came out, uh, Domino's came down with like 20,000 pizzas, we danced in the street, and it was, we had bought like 8,000 uh, baseball tickets and with the, with the hope that we'd get that many runners, and of course we did, because that went into their entry fee, and it happened to be a playoff game. But we had all the lower parts of the stands and and so we had everybody after they ate their pizza and the game was about to dance a bit and the game was about to start we ended up uh we handed everybody kazoos and the kazoos said let's see emily and food domino's to pizza too and everybody was sitting in the same stands in the, the lower deck and Tom Monaghan came down and he let everybody do a rendition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game on the Kazoos. So there was always a, a playfulness to it, whatever we did. And I, I always was, felt happy about that, even though people made fun of the Pollyanna. And the, the story about the balloons was that I always gave helium balloons out to adults and otherwise. People would come in to get ice cream. It might be somebody's birthday. We always had plenty of helium balloons that they could take back to their office. I always kept a couple of my pigtails so that when kids came in because it was, really was a, a wonderful spot for kids a lot of parents brought their kids in I've got I mean the stories I I, I was a, covering a golf tournament a couple of weeks ago in Hawaii and and a guy came and sat down at the bar and he said Emily every time every time I see you or, or read you know who your guests are in the paper or hear your show I tell my wife I used to play tinball in her store when I was eight years old his father worked for Oldie and Company and worked in the but I, I hear it everywhere that little kids, they were kids now they're adults, have some kind of story because that was, we had pinball machines and we had when then when video games came out and they were all mingled in with the merchandise and the hot dogs and people would come out and does everybody remember, the, people remember the hot dogs and the ice cream, that was the focal point. I had been an office worker downtown and all the stores said no food allowed and the whole way we started having food was I thought wouldn't it be nice if people could buy a $5 meal or something or you know something other than going to the pilot house and buying an expensive meal and leaving a tip or And so that's how we started selling hot dogs and ice cream to me It was like all the people that were my demographic they couldn't really afford remember that Marianne Ann? and and people loved it. We they, the hot dog ice cream a cookie and a drink it was a very simple uh, uh menu, and they could, we put benches out front, and initially with the ice cream, nobody would really lick an ice cream cone. They'd send their secretaries over to get it in in a paper cup. And then eventually, do you remember how people would get a little more loose about it, Bruce? And then eventually... Uh, people would start getting it in the cone and they'd eat it in the store. And they you know, with their three piece suits on and everything, and eating the ice cream store. And then pretty soon they, the guys started realize, realizing there were a lot of pretty girls walking by the front of the store. We put benches out. And pretty soon everybody was always hanging out on the sidewalk. We had trays. They'd put their hot dogs on the tray, their ice cream. It was a way, it was an inexpensive meal. It was a way for people to mingle and mix and nothing fancy about it. And I think that was the part that that I look back at it and have such fond memories of because it was such a simple way of getting people to interact. They would stand on the sidewalk. One time we had um, all the... Now, today it would not be a very uh, politically correct thing to do, but we didn't know that at the time. The Ringling Brothers Circus, when they would come to town, always would go right down to Cobo Hall. One time we had them come down Fourth Street and come to Emily's, and we closed off the street and we fed all the elephants, everybody the elephants I, I have a wonderful picture of Gunther Williams with one of the elephants up over over my head which I now I know is not politically correct but we just did some crazy things that were after a while people accepted it and they they expected it we had a big uh, unicycle that anybody could try and we got pretty good I remember uh, we always kept these great big cable rolls that the phone company used and on a light day or a you know, day when we could have space in the sidewalk we we'd get on those cable rolls and can ride them down the sidewalk. <laughs> just just crazy things that were really, it was, it was big kids being little kids. And I love that. I have such great memories of of the fun that we had. Um, with the people that were office workers, um, judges, judges would come in and play pinball, you know, Judge Charles Farmer, Damon Keith, I could go on and on of the people that spent a lot of time in the store. Cab, t- cab drivers, every, every type of demographic. And it just, it, the people would interact. It was just a, a beautiful thing. And is there any, Sue, I wanted to talk about Corktown. Come say, now we all talk about Corktown and all the great things that are happening there and how many people are moving in. And and yet, I started talking about it in terms of our race when we took our races through Corktown and Mexican town. And, but there's a whole population there that have been living there for a long time. So share your thoughts about that. My new now. friend, Emily, in the last hour, I can't compete with everybody
12: else's stories. But I did move into Corktown 40 years ago, 41 years ago in 75. And I still have friends, but I really had friends then who said, you don't live in Detroit. Whoever said, you're not from Detroit, you're from, I'd say, oh yeah, I'm in Detroit. And they thought I was nuts, but I loved it. And it's so nice. There's so many people who, in well, I would say mostly in Corktown, one of the nice things is the redevelopment is people buying an old house and redoing it. It's not someone coming in and tearing down. We've been pretty fortunate, actually. To, we've had some houses moved, but we haven't had a lot of real strict gentrification. And we do have a lot of new people moving in who are primarily, what I would say, and this is not researched, but a lot of young people from around the country who are interested in the arts and different kinds of the arts, theater, arts, CCS arts, etc. And that's nice to see the um, intergenerational Corktown is named after the you know, the city of Cork, Ireland, right? Then the next wave was Maltese who came before and after the war, World War, the wars, the constant wars, but particularly wars, World War One and Two, and so there's a lot of intermarriage of Irish and Maltese. Of course we have a huge, Latino population just in and around the edge of, of um, Corktown. So it's a, very, it's a relatively diverse community given Detroit. It's very diverse for Detroit, let me put it that way. Detroit's not very diverse. So anyway, I love Corktown. I love, I'm, not the, I'm not an athlete, but I am an old nun. Let me just say, I've been a nun for 50 years. So part of the reason I could live in Detroit and in Corktown is I didn't have to worry about education for kids. Because that is a huge problem. It's only gotten worse. I could weep about what's going on in the state legislature for our kids. But anyway, um, that is a factor, I would say that. And I've been robbed many times. I've had my car totaled by drunk drivers, whatever. But. Survived, been broken into,
0: yeah. whatever. And, and sure I but alive. I love it. She sure had a smile on her
12: face. And one other thing I want to say about Detroit is the social capital that Detroit has. We've heard about all these different nonprofits, these entrepreneurs. There's so much that happens that never makes, never makes a news story. And when people say, "I live in Plymouth and we were broken into," this doesn't happen here. I say back to the TV, "I guess it does."
0: So and you know of course Tom when Sus told me she'd been there I mean, forty years. Tiger too. Yeah, I mean, that was the days of Tiger Stadium well, I'm, and, I'm, and we used to ride our bike over there But we that was remember Chuck Muir had a restaurant over there and uh, the Porter Street station you well, some that's of the now other ones? Here, yeah, place. but you know, they, it's all kind of yeah. recycling, yeah. and the, the, the one the points. green all green stables yeah. is recycled, and you know, Absolutely. very busy. So it, it's fun to see it, you know. Thank and uh, you. it was it was fun to take our runs through there. and We would collaborate with the owners of those restaurants and and do things together. We we partnered up a lot. We were all pretty much like it is now. It was like, how can we be supportive of one another? And uh, it's just that there's so many people doing it now. And that's what I love. I walked down the street. There was a campus marshes yesterday. And my favorite part of what I saw over there was the basketball courts. Mm-hmm. I always said the streets are the greatest asset we have. We should be using them. That was my thing to, to Police Chief Banner when he said you've got to go out to the park. Because Herb and I, after after work, we would always play catch on Shelby. Yeah. And there's a, a bridge that goes across to the banks, and we we always said we were the best battery in town. We'd throw the ball over that, you know. But we loved playing in the streets. And, and you know, you could, when you take runs, you run into people that are always. Oh, he's uh, playing basketball in the street. I did a wonderful interview with a guy named Bill Bullard, who was with the Harlem Grove Trotters. And he was in Hawaii a while ago, and I got in touch with him because he's a Detroiter. He was a foster child. And, and I asked him, you know, how did you get into basketball? He said, my mother told me I had to do something. And he said, I learned to play basketball in the streets of Detroit. Now he's playing with the Harlem Grove Trotters. But to hear him tell the story is not just an unusual story. It's an everyday occurrence of people using the streets for recreation. And uh, I love that, when we, when we started being able to do that and convince the police department. Of course, look what's happened with the turkey trot and all the runs that are downtown. And, and uh, it's not just for runners and walkers. It's for families that come down and they interact and they, they mingle in the city. I, is there anybody that would like to share something about, you know, if you came into Emily's or, or uh, something about your, your life in the city today? Krista? Krista's kind of, uh, no, pass on that, okay. <laughs> yeah, come on up. And, and there, you know, I, when, when uh, I saw what Claire put on for the, about the talk and she had on it, we're going to link the past with the present, I really thought that all of us kind of connecting the stories that we're all doing is really what Emily's was all about, too. It wasn't about Emily doing something. It was everybody that walked through our door and was living a life that, that they interacted with us in some way that inspired us to keep opening our door every day. What's your name?
5: My name is Kelly. Hey Kelly. Hi. (laughs) So good to meet you.
0: I actually just walked in because
5: I used to come here back in the 90s when it was Zoot's Cafe. I don't know if anyone's familiar. Yeah. And that's actually how um, it was a very communal place at the time. And I went to Wayne State University, but kind of give you my background. I grew up in Detroit. And uh, I moved to San Francisco, and I still live there. And I, this is my first time back in about 15 years. And I just walked in the door about two minutes ago. <laughs> and I love these stories. And I think it's so amazing. And I actually have been meeting with a lot of the Detroit City Council and a lot of uh, different people in the last couple days. And I'm super excited to be here because we're actually looking at growing a couple of businesses out here um, on the technology side into the Detroit market. And um, it's not just from a technology standpoint, but also from a hospitality standpoint. And there's so many exciting things happening here. And you guys were talking about um, the fact that it doesn't make the news stories as much, but it does, believe me, it does. I am all over the world and everybody knows about Detroit right now and everybody kind of knows about the resurrection that's happening here in the restorations. And the fact that I've been kind of walking around the city with my mom for the last few days and just kind of seeing how much has actually been done, it's astounding to me. Um, I used to come here every Monday night for music. And I used to live on Second Apprentice when I was at Wayne State. And there's just so, yeah, right here, right down the street. And there's just so many beautiful things happening. And to see the livelihood of everyone kind of coming together Um, and bringing the city back to life. I actually was in tears earlier. It's just, it's amazing. This is my city, this is where I came from and I love, I love the
0: fact that you guys are telling stories in a place like this. This is well, it's it's huge. huge. Claire from Urban Council, and I I, I want (laughs) to mention that I've signed up to come to the talk that Claire has here tomorrow from noon to two. That is really, we're going to have her her mention it a little bit, but because she's got so many things going on, if you go to the website, they, they. you know, if one might not be for you, but there is one that is, and I when I saw the one for tomorrow, so I really appreciate you sharing and that enthusiasm. Thank you. thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And you know, that's what I find. Everywhere I go, I, you know, people will walk up to me, or when I came last week for Marsha's talk, I, you know, I, when I, I came in, and people uh, it would come up, some knew who I was, and you know, they, oh my God, can I take a picture? And then other people were brand new, and for instance, Will you come share with a moment?
4: Do you, you late And you're your, sure. your fiancé or your girlfriend or your delivery? Uh, she, she uh okay. technically had to go. Okay. She's. Hey everyone, I'm I'm well, this is love. Uh I'm Simon. I'm from uh, Sweden. Uh, who's uh, been in Detroit several times uh, since 2014 to do studies on the city. Um, so I guess I don't know, I met Emily last week at the talk Marcia gave. And um, I don't know. It just like I have like two hearts since I started coming to Detroit. Um, I dream about it when I'm not here. <laughs> um,
9: yeah.
0: So we, we met each other uh, we, when they we, the evening was getting started, and uh, it was your significant other, right?
14: The, uh, No, she's just my roommate, your roommate. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's a very
3: lovely person.
4: Yes, yeah, she
0: is. <laughs> and she's from Paris? Yeah, she's from Paris, yeah. She's from Paris, she's doing her graduate work in uh, techno music, but well, we all met each other for the first time and had yeah. a chance to chat. And, and you know it's that kind of stuff that I love—the interaction and finding out the little things that that people are doing. I love pulling the stories out of people of what they're doing, and I'm a, a copious—would that be the right word, Mary? A note taker. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> yeah, think you know that, I'm standing here writing notes about you two and everybody that I was meeting. and and I love that. I love to follow up with people and, and stay in touch with them. And then when you came back tonight, I was delighted that you yep. were here again tonight.
4: Yeah, well, I really like this place and this idea. It's really cool to be able to come here to hear
0: all these stories. It's. A, I think, uh, how about a little uh, round of applause for uh, Claire? For what she's done am great. I'm not a bar person, and, and I love, but I love to talk, you know, and to be able to gather with people in this kind of setting. When I came last week, it's like, oh, Claire. You're stuck with me. I'm going to be around here a lot when I'm, when I'm in, in, in Detroit. And uh, one more thing we're going to do right now is we want everybody to have a, a, a bumper sticker, a Say Nice Things About Detroit bumper sticker. And this is, uh, I just met, this is Rebecca. And Rebecca is the daughter of somebody else I met, Robin. And and Robin is a good friend of uh, My Ka- friend. Colleen. And Colleen worked at the at the stores and, and worked on the bronze, and we stayed in touch. And she just... Uh, what I love is Colleen says, oh, you, you know, some of the times when you talk with people and and they want to, like, change, and I'm always encouraging people, take that chance. You know, you forget how much you've learned in 32 years. You're going to be able to take what you've learned, and she's done a, you know, she always says she wouldn't have had her job for 32 years if she hadn't worked at Emily's, which has been in the promotion, and talk a little bit about that. And now she's changing careers. She's taking the chance. She says, you helped me have that confidence that I could do it.
2: We were, I don't know, five, eight years ago, we got reconnected again, and we started talking about doing things together, and Emily just always says it'll evolve, it'll flow, and honestly, she gave me so much encouragement. I walked away from my job of 32 years last week to take a program in the patient advocacy business, Um, but she really is, you know, and even where she thought she was gonna start five years ago, eight years ago, here, it's it's kind of flowed. Um, I just wanna say I was one of the lucky ones that my parents would not leave the city and we that you know, my dad just moved um for the first time after seventy seven years to Ferndale because of some health issues. But he also said he was getting in it was getting getting out while all the yuppies were coming in. So <laughs> so I was blessed to have growing up in Detroit and my parents moved downtown in nineteen eighty eight before anybody was really living there in Lafayette Park. So and your grandparents. Well my grandparents yeah. lived in the Palms building on Jefferson and Huge tiger fans, and so I feel you know privileged that that's how
0: I was raised, and. Um so I was one of the lucky ones; they stayed. So. And, and her dad was a big volunteer in the races, as just so many, so many people were. And he would come down and help on the races. But Colleen's parents, or their grandparents actually lived in the Palms, and didn't they move out to the suburbs and they disliked it so much they moved back yeah. downtown, yeah. back to the River House where they yeah. used to live. Yeah. 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 So I, I love those kind of stories. You know, I, it's almost like once you get it in your heart of living in the city and what it's like, it's, it's a pretty special thing. So we're gonna we want everybody to go home with a, a bumper sticker or sticker, or wherever you put it, on your computer or whatever, and uh, compliments of uh, Chris Gorski from Detroit GT, GT and myself, and we, we really appreciate it, you know, the more that it's out there, the message is out there, I think it, uh, it, it, it does get into the hearts of people, it's kind of a simple f- phrase, but it really is, you know, whether, that's what I loved when Shinola did the tagging, and they did the uh, hashtag say nice things, because that's really what we were always saying, it's just... Just say something nice, you know? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Whose mother said that to you? <laughs> I mean, I, my mother used to always say that, but I think that's pretty much what we were saying with the say nice things about Detroit is, you know what, if you, you just try to, try to Zip it if you if you can't. It's so easy to just keep dumping and dumping and dumping and we can all find that. And I, I love the spirit in which people come up to me. I went down to the Motor City uh casino today. They were doing they're doing um, fight night tomorrow night. It's called uh uh, what is it a uh, uh, fight night knockout seven or something but we used to do a lot of promotions with Tommy Hearns and we did some crazy things we Emmanuel would always say whatever you guys can come up with and like once we set up a ring in the, the, the basement of the Renaissance Center and our theory was we wanted to bring boxing to the three-piece suitors because it, 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 they always had the, the training in Cobble Hall You remember those days Bruce and so you'd only get the boxing fans. And we said, Kim Chappell, I remember his name, he was the first manager of the, the Western Hotel. And we convinced him, you know, let us set the ring up. And the boxers, Tommy was fighting Pepino Cuevas. I remember that. It was his first title fight. And uh, so they would come over to the Renaissance every day to work out. And sure enough, guys would come down, you know, that was, I can't remember, it was one of the automobile companies was in the, one of the towers, and the, but they come down and they watch the workouts. Ebony Magazine wrote about it. Uh, they got a lot of good press about it. Another time, we set up a ring in the old shillelagh, just like the old-time boxing. We had to reinforce the floor. But what we wanted was we wanted people to have that feeling, because Detroit's a great sports town. It's not just... Basketball, baseball, and hockey, and, and now you've got the soccer, what's happening, and I don't know how many of you know it, but that, that new, uh, or not new, but refurbished stadium out in Hamtramck was once the, the where the Negro League played, and uh, thank goodness that they saved it. You know, we didn't tell the story, I, I forgot to tell with uh, Patricia, well anyway, i have to finish this, with Motor City Casino. It was really neat to see how many of the media were there today, they had the weigh-in and a luncheon, and um, I talked with several of the guys that were fighting and I just have such a good feeling because boxing kind of went away for a while when Emmanuel passed away and now they've got the Detroit Boxing Club for the kids and is doing so much good and and Kronk has reopened and there's a lot of gyms around town and it's nice to see that because I don't know what you think about boxing but it does create a vehicle for an awful lot of people to come out of some hard, hard life Um, and in fact Mary lived in the home where, uh, oh I love this story, when Mary moved into the home that she grew up in, she, you to tell me the story a little bit? Because these are all about Detroit. Yeah, it's, it, is a, it is a
6: unique situation. Um, I had heard my whole life that Joe Lewis, the legendary boxer, had spent a lot of time in our home and the home in which I was raised. And um, so I didn't really know who he was until I started um um romping with my siblings in the attic and basically destroying a whole bunch of beautiful artifacts <laughs> and I mean we were literally romp around in his robes that said brown bomber on the back oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. and we would take a maybe a wrench and claim Um, the wrench against something to manufacture a bell sound and we'd have simulated fights and all of that. And there would be piles of his uh, ostensibly shoes and boots on the side and I remember and I did save one there were piles of knockout stills from like the Associated Press. I'm a journalist I started with the UPI and so anyway so I just remember that because that was one of our that's our that was our chief rival, rival the Associated Press. But there were piles of knockout stills, and the one I saved was one of this dashing man, um, wavy hair, and a uh, bespoke suit, and um, very elegant. And I, I do I saved that because he was fine. <laughs> but I still didn't have a sense of who he was. And um, as it turns out, uh, my father had bought the home directly from John Roxborough, who was Lewis's manager. And my father got it for a steal because, well, Roxborough built the home. It was a really fabulous home, actually. And uh, my father got it for a steal because Roxborough was on his way to prison um, for uh, being involved in the numbers racket or something. So, sad story. Lucky me. <laughs> um, and I tell people, and I wrote about this in, for an article, um, that really I I I I I kind of owe my uh, career to Roxborough because um, he left a beautiful library and. Um, I just remember being uh, barely able to read, but climbing those shelves and just reading all manner of things about all all manner of subjects. But, um, because my my mother was adopted, my father was older, and we didn't know his parents, so we kind of adopted Joe Lewis. As I, I kind of thought of him as Uncle Joe or something. <laughs> And then I started hearing this, these stories that the room next to mine, um, that's the one in which um, he would stay most of the time when, I don't know, he was training or spatting with his wife or something. Um, And so what Emily really wants me to tell is that when I started gaining some consciousness about the importance of this person, the iconic status of Joe Lewis. I was about 15. I gathered everything that we didn't destroy in a cardboard box, and I boarded a Detroit bus, and I took it to the Detroit Historical Museum and basically said, here. Which is kind of sad, because after a while, you know, what happened to the story, yeah. you know? And I did call them at some point before I did the story and say, listen, I have to mention this anecdote and so they looked for everything and, you know, it was probably it's taken out the back door. Yeah, it's, oh, somewhere. it's somewhere there. But so, those are the
0: kind of stories that we all have some history. Yeah. I found some papers of my dad's, and you know, said 1938, and it says, uh, studio and office at 319 East Kirby, five pianos, lots of rehearsals, he was a piano player. Um, and speaking of Jack Roxborough, he says, sold to Jack Roxborough, This is 38, so it must have been, or John, the house beforehand, and then he says, uh, uh, the Now the location of is the Center for Creative Design. 1939, Cliff Bells, because he played piano at Cliff Bells, sent word he was going to throw me out. <laughs> <laughs> but you read those things, you know, and you realize how far back it goes and your roots and, you know, sometimes I wasn't paying attention when my dad would tell me about his family and, you know, all the things that, that he went through. I think he dropped out of high school and then went back. and. And I, I'm, I'm in touch with my cousin, in fact, who was the one that led me to Jim Hayes from Detroit Homecoming because uh, my cousin Lance Minor is uh, a little bit older than me. And and I get in touch. I, I talk to Lance regularly. And I ask him, tell me more about our family history. And it's amazing. I just encourage all of us to really talk to our parents while we can because, you know, the, the roots in Detroit are, we all have... Uh, deep roots, I think, and probably deeper than we realized. I didn't realize how deep my family's roots were. A relative was the mayor of Detroit in the early 1900s, and the more I read the things going through my dad's papers, I, you know, he was just a hardworking guy, and, you know, played piano and had bands, and, but I didn't, you know, you never think about what it was, what he was doing in the 1939 and 1940s, and when, when Claire said to me, you gotta come speak at Cliff Bells, I remember dad talking, he would drive us by and say, I used to play piano at that place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it does recycle. And I think those stories like Mary with Joe Lewis, not knowing who he was, and then realizing you had a little piece of history with it. I feel that way about Ali. He used to be down at the London Chop House, and I think he was associated with Delco Batteries or something, but he'd leave the Chop House and he'd come wander on the sidewalk, and Herb and I would wave him into the store, you know, because he was that kind of guy. We used to go to his training camp and watch him. A train and just a, he he liked that. He liked to be with kind of the common folks and he loved magic tricks. So there are probably half a dozen times when he was would wander up from the London Chop House and we'd wave him into the store and he'd come in and talk a little bit. He always did the magic trick. Maybe you've seen him when he's done press conferences where he pulls the scarf out from behind someone's ear, but that was his his real thing. But we all have so many stories that have to do with Detroit that uh go much deeper than like what I did was just a little flash in the pan over an era but it did make a difference, and every one of us can make such a difference every single day. I always say we do our work and get out of the way. And I know you've been nodding a lot as we're talking. Will you share a little bit about yourself here in Detroit? Uh, I don't have too much to share. Yeah. Um,
14: this is my first time here. Though. Okay. So, I'm, and I'm
4: Detroiter?
0: Just, I'm taking
4: everything in. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, born and raised in the
0: Metro Detroit. Okay. Still around the area. And, and, and coming down to Detroit a lot, or when did you first start uh, coming down into the city?
14: Got interested
4: in it um, when I went to college and started learning more about it on my own. Uh-huh. Um, and now a bunch of friends that I know all live downtown, and everyone goes out, and it's it's just a common thing to do now, and it never was when
0: I was growing up. Yeah, you get kind of a brightness in your, you know, when you're nodding, like, yeah, yeah, I get that, I get that, and it's fun, isn't it? To then go back out and share it with other people, and we're mentors in that way, and sharing with people to come on down into the city and and enjoy it. Anybody else have something they they want to share? Everybody good? Okay. I'm yes? I share,
8: I want to ask you, when are going
0: to write your book? Well, you know, I've had, I've, I've had people ask me that, but I've promoted books for people. And uh, one of them was uh, Christine Brinkley's dad. He lived on the Big Island. and He would always say, well, you got to promote my book for me. He was the producer of uh, uh, Trapper, uh, Trapper John, the Medical Center. He was way ahead of his time. I went into the, the Broadcast Museum in, in L.A. because he, he was very didn't tell me much about what he did, and I found out that he was way ahead of his time. But like a lot of people, you know, he'd written a, a mystery book and something, and then uh, several people had promoted their books, and I found that it's really hard to promote books. And I'm kind of an introvert, believe it or not. I, you know, it, now that I've learned that introverts aren't people that don't like people, I, I, I saw a TED Talk, uh, it was called Quiet by Susan Kane. and after I heard the TED Talk, I had to get her book. And, and the whole thing she explained is that introverts love people. They just recharge by being alone. And even since when I was a little kid, I spent a lot of time alone. I I like being alone. I spent an enormous amount of time alone. I don't think I would like to go out and be promoting a book. But I try to tell my story through my my shows on the Emily T. Gale show, ESPNHawaii.com. And I tell a lot of Detroit stories. My last two shows, the one that went up yesterday, is all about um, the Outdoor Adventure Center. It's about the DNR uh, now, you know, being in charge of Belle Isle and the Milliken Park, and, and just the, you know, uh, everything that's happening at the outdoor center and river. It was with uh, Linda Walter and Scott Pratt, who's in charge of 53 parks and 33 of the mooring. Uh, facilities. And then my show last week is about uh, Ellen Hill Zerang, who is the first Afro-American. She's the VP of Marketing at the Detroit Tigers. And she's done a wonderful job bringing more women into the marketing department of Detroit Tigers and Hispanics. They even have a Twitter account that's Tigers uh, Detroit. It's, It's reaching out to the Hispanic community. But I weave my story in when I'm talking with them. First time I called Ellen up and went and had an interview, she said, I just need to ask you something. Are you the same Emily Gale that when I was a little girl, my mom used to bring me into your store? So it's been a beautiful relationship. And I love, I appreciate you asking that, Marcia, I have a lot of people ask me that. But I feel that the radio and a, a radio show has been a real way for me to weave my story in with other, other people as they're telling their story because it it always uh, brings to me how we are all so related. And there's always something you can attach to the story, the backstory of somebody else. So you can listen to the Emily T. Gale show. But I'm working on a show now. I do so many Detroit shows weaved into my Emily T. Gale show that now I'm I'm working on a show. I met up with some guys, uh, they do podcast Detroit. I was out at their studio the other night doing the undercard couple of kids, I say kids, or, you know probably in their 40s, or something. but I met them in the Kinkos. We were we were all, it was about 10.30 at night in a Kinkos downriver, because there was one that stays open until 11. And they saw me making things that had to do with say nice things about Detroit and ask if they could have it. I stayed in touch with them over the last few years and they do a radio show called The Undercard and they promote boxing and, and MMA. So I went out the other night to do their show. I've done it a couple times with them. They've been on mine, but they, they've had um, amateur boxing matches at Eastern Market and it's it's fun to mentor back and forth and I get a chance to like I I happen to be in my I have a locker here and I happen to be in my locker before I went out for the show I reached in and got a stack of pictures and lo and behold there were pictures from the Sphinx Ali fight in New Orleans that we were at in 1978, I think it was, and I hadn't seen those pictures for 30 years. They were at the bottom of a, a box. I took them out to the radio show and I just never stopped talking. But I was able to weave, they said, keep telling stories. So I was able to weave my story and experiences we had into to their current day story, and they looked at the pictures of Howard Cosell and everything. they said, wow, will you make copies of these? I said, you keep them, you be caretakers of these pictures. So that's what I love. I love being able to, to weave the stories into each other. I know when Bruce and I sat down last year, and I know when we sit down in the future, you know, there's a lot we can weave because we all have a backstory that we don't always get a chance to tell. And that's what I think that what Cara is doing here. If she's, you know, with the parlor talks tomorrow, it's a talk that you know, so I'll let her share with you. But I, that's, to me, I just, I love that. I love when we can share the backgrounds. I didn't know that Colleen's parents, until we had breakfast the other day, Colleen shared about her parents living at the Palms and moving to the suburbs, and how they just hate it and coming back. But every time I sit with somebody, you know, and ask them a little more, you know, about where did your parents live, or what, we, we the story is being told all the time. And I record all the time. I've always got my, my recorder going, so I make a lot of podcasts and put them up there. So thank you everybody. It's been a wonderful evening. Thank
1: you so much. That was lovely. I have so many questions for her now. Like I want to interview her. But it's it's also it's getting a little late. It's about eight. So we can also just have um, some mm-hmm. random right. conversation. But what I, I wanted to say in closing, because as I've been listening, I've been thinking, um, you know, back to the theme of change in the city. One of the things that I've been thinking about tonight is how remarkable you are that, uh, as someone who was a catalyst for things at a certain time, for energy, that you still have such pride and such enthusiasm for the city. I think often, um, you know, if, if you didn't personally, perhaps, profit from the growth that you helped to create in energy, you get profit and joy from seeing the things that came after you. And I think that's, that's a hard thing that we're all struggling with sometimes as, as the city changes and
0: some people feel left behind. Well, and, and addressing that, I, you know, you get wiser. You, you learn from what you didn't do very good at, right? We learn from our failures. And I always say, uh, this time around, I'm going to try to do better at it, <laughs> you know, and making some money at it. And I don't mean to put it that way, but that's why I, I love working with City Bird and with Chris Gorski at Detroit GT, because we found a way, you know, initially it was to go ahead and you guys just make it, put my name on it, and as we all kind of talk and collaborate, we found ways that, you know, I can be part and parcel of that too, and I'm coming up ways of things that they can do. So. Uh, you know I I have every intention of having an income stream in Detroit that's that's my goal (laughs) for sure so when people say well what are you doing I I know Colleen and Michelle and everybody over the years that we've all got Julie got together Julie called me about one o'clock last night I think and, and she said she sent me a text Do you have a moment can you talk for a moment and what she said was I think I get it the flower is blossoming everything you've been talking about to me and I'd always say it's something that's really you know planned or anything I just know in my heart what I'm trying to do you know I want to I want to continue the feeling I have I've never lost my love of the city my heart is here this is I always tell people you yeah, I live in Hawaii but my heart is in Detroit and I've had a wonderful life in Hawaii I put on some wonderful events that I get a lot of acclaim for and you know, I'm a really big part of the committee, but there's nothing like where your roots are, and I know that, and I know that I'm supposed to be here. And what I like about it is the Emily and Andy Lynns and and the Chris Gorski's. They're having to do the retail, and I don't. I can just talk about it and try to <laughs> figure out how to get an income stream from talking about it. So yeah. Thank you for that question. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you everyone
1: for coming. Really appreciate it. Oh yeah. And please, as Wayne said at the beginning, urbanconsulate.com, sign up there for future events. We would love for you to come back out for for other talks. Maybe Emily will come back too.
0: I'd love it. And I want to thank Ted uh, Forty. Uh, Ted, thank you so much from the Grow Shield and uh, Public Access and Patty Mourney for getting here. Patricia, thank you for coming. Thank you, everybody. You have a sticker. Oh, um, yeah, actually.
9: Oh, Sunday, actually great, yeah. Okay, But you On Tuesday,
12: by June or Tuesday?
6: It's Tuesday. Oh, you I ask you something. Yeah. Um, I'm doing a sport. I'm doing a button. But it, uh, it depends on why. Of course, there's a certain of people don't drive up there in the city. Is that you, or you just don't like her? Yeah, I probably
3: I started not driving in DC in 2001. Okay, and you're, what, all all you, are, video you? are you? Yeah. Did I talk yeah. to you on the phone I'm yeah. like... I was coming to you, I was oh. talking about that. I Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I would love but my that. reason yeah. right now... I is wasn't that. about to let you go, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stop
6: her. I <laughs> her, Yeah, that's exactly. cool. But when I came here a year ago, um, Gina, oh, she was like here longer than I have, and she was like, she
3: would be in to see, and she was like, Right. Like, you can be all proud about it in D.C. Right. Like <laughs> <training. laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, in there, train. Yeah, I
7: know. it was really <laughs> like a good job, too.
6: oh Can I don't have an email address. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. Um, let's see. Can I have your number? Email address. What's the best way to do it? Everybody has a best way to do it. Do that, or yeah.
3: a meeting or something, okay. Like, I can okay. To but that's
6: how you can
2: give
3: me can yeah. yeah. to yeah. to talk like humans. Oh, I don't
6: fucking where do you live? Yeah. Oh okay, yeah. I'm
7: downtown, so we can do that too. Yeah. Maybe uh, I can come to
6: you, but maybe uh, uh I'll email what about, like, do you have a nine to five Do you have a nine to five or oh, okay. yeah.
3: oh, okay. yeah. and I know, yeah. Oh,
6: right. oh, I'm just sure. On if you yeah. to be like,
12: right. Yeah
3: Thanks.